All right, y'all, let's go ahead and take our seats. Okay, so we're going to pray. We're going to, uh, we're, we're recycling through the Psalms as we'll do all year. And uh, I have recycled all the way back now to Psalm 3. Uh, and when I was reading it this morning, there's this word many that's used over and over and over again. Many, 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 many. Like one, two, three, four, four times. So many are foes. Many is the difficulties that surround me. Uh, many are saying to my soul, there's no salvation for him. Many thousands are all around me that are not for me. Um, and then he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Many, 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 but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. So that's what we're going to pray. So this morning, you might be feeling like you're one of those who are surrounded by the many. And it might be your own self that surrounds you. And so it might be stuff that comes out of you, and it might be stuff that comes at you, and it's just many, 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 many. So you need to know, God says to you right now, I'm your shield. Absolutely, I'm your shield. So let's pray. There's a lot of people. We, I even just got one today that um, just this moment uh, that we need to pray for. So I'll work that in as we pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that uh, many, many can surround us, many can be against us, including our own selves. But you are a shield about us. The many can surround us, but you're more. Your shield surrounds us even more. And so, Lord, we ask and pray for ourselves this morning that you would be that shield about us, but more importantly, that we would believe it. May this morning we actually, it's so much of what we look at is absolutely true. The problem isn't with you. The problem is with us. We just don't believe it. So, oh, Lord, may you help us now. We're going to ask, I believe would you give the faith that we would all say, we believe you're a shield about us. You're our strength. You're our hope. You're our fortress, the mighty fortress that we just sang about. No matter what surrounds us, inside of us or outside of us, we ask this now. And Lord, we pray for others specifically that we're aware of, that need to know and need to experience, that they be able to say, I believe that you're a shield about them. We pray for them right now. And so we pray for Matt Rafalski. And so we pray for Gene Hatton. And so we pray for Lori Henderson. And so we pray for Michael Montag. And so we pray for Nat Friesen, Scotty and Nat Friesen, their, or her brother, Scotty's brother-in-law that just died. Pray for these families. 
pray for their loved ones, that you would be the mighty fortress and the shield that surrounds them. And then, Lord, we pray for this church and we pray for the city that is in desperate need of a fortress and desperate need of a shield and desperate need of some safe place. And we ask that um, you would grant that this church would go out and proclaim and invite so that many can come and see, just come and see, come and see this one. Maybe he's the Christ. Maybe he's the mighty fortress. Maybe he's the shield. Oh, Lord, would you grant that that kind of conversation and those kind of invitations and this kind of friendship and this kind of good news would go far and wide throughout all of Waco. And, oh, Lord, we ask that you would grant that you would use us, that we would be able to play a part in what you're doing here in Waco. And so, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit even more as we hear the good news. We would be more filled with your spirit, more filled with the fruit of the spirit that we just looked at and more filled with the power of the Spirit, and that the new life of the Spirit, the eyes of seeing differently, thinking differently, feeling differently, experiencing differently, would be so real, so true, that we would see, oh my word, you are the shield. You are the salvation. In marriages, and in the homes, and in parenting, and with our children, that Youth ministry, children's ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, all the dynamics and the activities in the life of this church, and then all the relationships and the friends yet to be made in Waco. We ask this, we pray for this, we seek this. We ask you to do this because you're the only one who can. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so today's an exciting day. We start our series for the fall, the kickoff on Philippians. So um, how do you start? How do you start a book? So here's how we're going to start. I realized about, I don't know, late last night that, oh, you know what? This has got to be a two-parter. <laughs> so I'm already off to a big bang of a start. So we're going to have part one and verses one through 11, and then part two, verses one through 11 next week. So this is getting us into the book. This is like an intro to the book. Why would you want to read this book? My goal this morning is to get you to want to read this book. To hook you in such a way that you're like, I have to read this book. I must read this book. I need this book. So Sam stops for gas in Montgomery, Alabama. He fills up, climbs back into his car, and drives five more miles on his trip. At the five-hour mark is when it hits him. Oh, no. He left something back at the gas station five hours earlier. And you're asking, as I was asking, oh, what did he leave? Did he leave his wallet? Uh, did he leave his cell phone? Uh, did he leave his favorite pair of sunglasses, which mine are Tito Brown. I love them. No. He left his wife. <laughs> First of all, when you hear this, and I heard this, can you imagine any married dude in here? Anyone married in here? Raise your hand. Dudes, raise your hand. Can you imagine? No. You never recover from something like this. 
No, you can't. Just forget it, pack it in, put in your man card. It's over for you. There's no, there's no recovery for you, married, husband, man, thing, whatever it is. So he races to the nearest town, of course, right? Runs into the nearest police station, grabs the first police officer, and he says, please help me. Can you help me get in touch with my wife? Now, obviously, this is before cell phones, right? Because I'm thinking, dude, just do your phone or text, whatever. So everyone that hears the story, you want to know, I want to know, the police want to know in the police station. How could this happen? I mean, how? How? How can you forget your wife for five hours at a gas station? Oh, my word. Well, the husband actually explains how this could happen. In the police report, embarrassingly, he says it. Quote, I just didn't notice her absence. Yeah, I'm like, dude, this is when you lie. <laughs> Honey! <laughs> There were four dudes, they all had guns, they carjacked me, they took me, I broke free, I beat them all up, I took them to the nearest jail, and now I'm back. I mean, you lie if that's your answer. Again, this dude never will recover, he shouldn't recover, he, yeah, he didn't survive this one. All right, so, why this story? This is why. This is what happens to joy. I just didn't notice its absence. Isn't that how it works? Ah, dang, man. Nine years into the grind, and I just didn't notice its absence. You go to church, I just didn't notice its absence. You pray, you read the Bible, I just didn't notice its absence. You follow God, you do ministry, I just didn't notice its absence. You work hard. You work hard as a student. You work hard as a mom. You work hard as a friend. You work hard as a coach, a professor, a teacher, a social worker, a community leader, a business leader, a middle school student. I just didn't notice its absence. Perhaps you stopped going to church, reading your Bible, praying. You stopped learning how to make friends. You stopped following God and working hard as a student and working hard as a mom and working hard as a parent and working hard as a husband and working hard as a middle school student. So why did you stop? And you say, I don't know. I don't know why I stopped. I don't know why it happens. And Philippians says to you, the Bible says to you, God says to you, because you have no joy in it. That's why you stop. And it doesn't, I mean, it could be the great things. Remember the passions you had in your life? Maybe when you were younger, and there's no passion there. There's no 
desire there, those gifts and talents and abilities that you have, and you used to love to exercise them, and now it's just dull, passionless. I just didn't notice its absence. So what we're about to talk about, actually, if it comes into our life, it changes everything. Even the way you do music, and the way you do sports, and the way you do a mom, and the way you do teaching, and the way you parent, and the way you friend, and the way you resolve conflict. You could say it puts the heart back into it. Maybe you're going from one thing to another. Will you give me joy? Remember we talked about that. Are you my mother? Are you my mother? Will you give me joy? You go from one degree to another. Will you give me joy? You go from one job to another. Will you give me joy? You go from one romantic relationship to another. Will you give me joy? You go from one measure of success to another. Will you give me joy? One addiction to another. Will you give me joy? One next new thing, whatever's out there, will you give me joy? The next ideology, will you give me joy? Joy. You either didn't notice its absence, or all you notice is its absence. So joy's a big deal, right? Joy's a big deal to you. Joy's even a big deal to God. And so what we're going to do is we are going to read this text, 1 through 11, and we'll do it again next week. There's so much here, so we're going to hit uh, the core of the book in today's sermon. And then we'll go into more of the particulars next Sunday, when everybody's gone on, what is it, Labor Day, <laughs> okay? All right, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. So, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, literally to all the holy people in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So, you're in two places. You're in Christ and in Philippi. Amazing. That's stuff we'll look at next week. With the overseers and deacons. This, this letter begins this way with the overseers and deacons. That's the only time Paul does that in all the Bible, in the New Testament and all of his letters. He's actually addressing specifically not only the congregation, but the leaders. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with, there it is, joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, passion, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn, passion, for all of you with the affection, passion of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. How? With knowledge and all discernment. How? So that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory of God and the praise of God. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Take a quick deal of water. 
All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask that right now that you would fill us with your spirit in a way that we experience you, Jesus, with this text. So give us light, as the Puritans would say, clarity to the mind. Give us heat, as the Puritans would say, make it real in our heart. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Joy. I didn't notice its absence, or I only notice its absence. Go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, right? Welcome to Philippians. Uh, this is a series that we're going to call Joy in Jail. Why? Because everyone wants joy, no one wants jail, and Paul has both. Joy in Jail, that's our series. All right, so Paul, what is joy? This is what we're going to do. Paul, what is joy? Paul, how do I get joy? Paul, how does joy survive me? How does joy survive cancer? How does joy survive a miserable marriage? How does joy survive middle school? How does joy survive singleness? How does joy survive the inability to have children and you want them? How does joy survive the culture? Paul, what does God say about joy? So why are we doing the book of Philippians? Answer, to lead you to joy. Because every text that we're going to look at in Philippians is going to have this thread of joy in it. It doesn't matter where we are. You can just, boom. Uh, two verses, one through five. There will be a thread of joy in that passage, and we're going to locate, find that thread, then grab that thread, follow that thread as it leads us to joy. That's what this book is designed to do. To lead you to joy. So Paul, we're going to start this morning with what is joy. What's joy? I mean, what is it? What is it? Is it a feeling? Is it what is joy? Uh, is it just you understand it? Joy, you get it. You understand it. If I tell you right now, here's what joy means, and we dissect it, and we look at it, and we break it down into a calculus equation, and you all get it, and then you go, got it, joy. Or is it a feeling that all of a sudden you just feel it, and you know it when you feel it because you just feel it? Joy, that's what joy is. What is joy? I mean, seriously, what is it? Because there are two camps today, right? There's the intelligent camp. Everything about joy is understanding things. How do you get joy? Understand it. You get it. Think it. You got to think right, you get joy. Then there's the feeling camp, the mystical camp. Everything's about experience. You just got to experience it. You know what the Bible says? There's a third camp. It's not the intelligent camp. It's not the mystical camp. It's the intelligent mystical camp. It's the intelligent mystic. Where things get clear to your mind and real to your heart. And that's reality. That's what we're after. So Paul, what is joy? 
Answer number one. You ready? Here it is. Whatever it is, Paul has it. Right? Whatever it is, Paul has it. Let's look at verse one. Oh, three. Sorry, three. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with, there it is, joy. Okay, so Philippians actually drips with joy. I mean, the word is said at least 12 times, but the concept, the idea of it is everywhere. So this is pretty appropriate. You know, I, I don't know. My wife might not think so, but how many of you sweat? I know women, I know you don't sweat, you glow, but we all sweat, right? For those of you that work out, how's it been in the heat rate lately? Those of you that work out, let's talk about your clothes. Great, yes. Let's talk about your clothes, your workout clothes. Do they drip? Uh, Is it like Noah's flood? Are they soaked? Well, this summer, Nancy led an insurrection or insurgency in our house. She said, no more hanging up your workout clothes in the bathroom. No more. Hand on hip, pointing. Right? <laughs> Philippians drips, literally drips with joy. You can't go anywhere in Philippians without, like, ow, oh, joy. Gosh. The book of Philippians is so, so, so soaked with joy that it's called, the church in Philippians is called the happy church, the healthy church. And you know what this means? If you find a happy church and a healthy church in the Bible, everybody camps out there. That means every like Bible teacher and every pastor and every church leader and every ministry leader uses it in their preaching and their Bible studies to make healthy Christians because everybody wants to make healthy Christians and everybody wants to make healthy churches. So if you've experienced Philippians before, you know you've heard it. You've heard things like a healthy Christian looks like fill in the blank, and there'll be 10 healthy things for the Christian to look like from Philippians. That's how this works. Or you say the 10 marks of a healthy church are fill in the blank, and there could be 9, 10, 15 healthy marks of being a church, and Philippians is your go-to book. Because everybody knows Philippians is a healthy church. Everybody knows it's a happy church, and so everybody says, here's how you make healthy, happy Christians. I am... I shouldn't say I'm in total agreement with that perspective, but great, that's great. I would just add two more, two more. I would say things like, here's how to stop being such a spiritual loser. Maybe that's what the book's about. Or maybe it's about, here's the church you wish you had. Joy in church. What is this book about? What is the message of this book? Everybody agrees that it's about joy, but even our approach to how to get it is so weird. If we list nine marks of how to be healthy, somehow we think it's going to happen. What is joy? Answer number one, whatever it is, Paul has it. Answer number two. Uh, When I was in high school... I ran into a tree. There's no easy way to say that. Right smack into a tree. Not with my car, with my body. Now, this is very, very important. You need to know this. 
The tree does not move. You do. You do. Joy is like a tree. It doesn't move. You do when you hit it. And if you get that right now at the beginning of the book, that joy is like a tree, it doesn't move. When I hit it, I move. And I move with joy. You're on your way. I'm on my way to finding some real joy. But if you try to pursue joy in the usual pursuits, the intellectual pursuits, the experiential pursuits, you're never going to get it. The how-to pursuits, the nine marks of healthy pursuits, you'll never get it, guaranteed. I'll even prove it. The book will even prove it. By the time we get to chapter three, you're going to be like, oh, my word, he's right. So, Philippians, the Bible, God says to you, joy is like a tree. It does not move. You do. This is why you can have joy in jail, because joy doesn't move. You do. This is why you can have joy in your sin. Joy is like a tree. It doesn't move. This is why you can have joy in shame. Joy is like a tree. It doesn't move. This is why you can have joy in middle school. Joy is like a tree. It doesn't move. This is why you can have joy in any difficulty, in a marriage, in, in conflict. You can have joy in everything. And that's why Paul eventually does say it, doesn't he? He says, rejoice, which is joy on steroids, or joy is a verb. Rejoice always and everything. Have joy. How can you say such a thing? How can you say such a thing? Unless joy is like a tree. It doesn't move. You do with joy. So do you see the hope that's here for all of us? Man, this is like unbelievable. If we just hit the tree, we move with joy. Amazing. So run into the tree when you're in jail, and you'll move with joy. Run into the tree as a middle schooler, and you'll move with joy. Run into the tree in your marriage, and you'll move with joy. Run to the tree at the job you can't stand, and you'll move with joy. Run into the tree in the midst of conflict, and you'll move with joy. Joy in all things. And you can only do this if joy is something outside of you that doesn't move. Because if you try to find joy in your experiences inside of you, it moves. If you try to find joy in other things that are created, they move. But if there's joy that's like a tree that doesn't move, you can hit it and move with joy. 
So what is joy? Answer number one, whatever it is, Paul has it. Answer number two, it's like a tree. So what is the tree in the middle of Philippians? <laughs> this is the question, right? If, that if you run into it, it doesn't move. You do with joy. What's the tree? Well, it shows up three times in the first two verses. You can't miss it. If we look at those first two verses, see if you can spot it. It's one. All right, go to two. Three times in those first two verses. It shows up again in verse 6. Shows up again in verse 8. Shows up again in verse 10. Shows up again in verse 11. Four more times it shows up. So in a total of 11 verses, it shows up seven times. So what about the four that it doesn't show up? Well, it shows up, but it doesn't show up explicitly in the words. It shows up in the ideas like gospel, good news, and it shows up in ideas and words like God is at work, so pray for him to work in your life. So all of that is still attached to the tree. And then ultimately, this whole section, if we go to verse 1, those of you that are in college and you're in English lit or in high school, you know that there are literary devices, right? you know that if something begins and ends with the same literary device, it's a big deal. It's telling you what the point is. Verse 1 begins with the tree. Verse 11 ends with it. So when you enter the text, you hit it. When you exit the text, you hit it. Why? Because this is the point of the text. What is the tree in the middle of Philippians that doesn't move, but when you hit it, you move. Answer, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 2, Paul tells you what it means. In chapter 2, he's going to unpack it for us. Right now, he's just telling you, here's the cosmic tree that doesn't move, and his name is Christ Jesus. He doesn't move, you do. In fact, in chapter 2, it says heavenly creatures run into it. Heavenly beings run into it. Beautiful, spectacular, amazing creatures in the heavenly realm, in the invisible world, run into it. It doesn't move. They do. They bow down with joy and confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, roaring it with full throttle joy. And the text also says in verse in chapter 2 that earthly creatures run into it and it doesn't move, but they do with joy. It says they bow with joy. They bend the knee with joy and they confess with full throttle heart and mind, experience and clarity, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the picture continues as Paul says, and not only that, everybody, but every creature under the earth runs into this tree and bends the knee, not with joy, with defeat. 
absolute, complete defeat and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So, are you a mess this morning or yesterday or earlier in the week? Sin, failures, depression, shame. Here's what you do. You run into Christ Jesus. You run into Christ Jesus with your sin, with your shame, with your failures, with your depression. Jesus doesn't move. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his present, active presence doesn't move. Your sin moves. It bows to him. Jesus Christ is Lord. Your shame moves. It bows to him. Jesus Christ is Lord. Your depression moves. It bows to him. Jesus Christ is Lord. It might not, it doesn't mean that you're, you don't experience a depression and all the stuff that goes on in mental health stuff. No. But it does mean they all bow to him. It all bows to him because he doesn't move. Everything else does. So what you can do now, oh, my word, my sin bows to him. My shame bows to him. All the failures bow to him. I don't, I am no longer like bowing to them. You move with joy. You now bow to him with joy because he's the victor, and you bow with full-throttled victory. In his victory, you have joy. You move with joy. Are you in jail? Are you in middle school? Middle school is jail. <laughs> Are you in a miserable job, no job, miserable marriage, no friends, lonely, cancer, not wanting to be single, wanting to have children. Run it all into Christ Jesus because he does not move. Run it all to Christ Jesus because he does not move, but they do. Because everything that runs into Christ Jesus bends the knee, bows. The bad things with defeat. And you now bow with joy with victory, and you can move with victory, and you can move with joy. So here's the ending. What is joy? The joy is this. It's what happens to you when you run into the cosmic tree. So yes, it's the moving experience. Joy is experiential. There's no way to get around it. It is. It's the moving experience, though, of running into someone more. It's what happens when you run into a cosmic tree, when you run into someone who's more, when you run into them, there's a moving experience. He doesn't move, you do move, but you now move with joy. You move with it clear in your mind, you move with it real in your heart. He's bigger, he's better, he's brighter. So all the bad things he's bigger than. All the good things in your life he's better than. Everything else he's brighter than. 
And so when you run into him, you always, in all things, in all places, you can actually fulfill what Paul even talks about in 4, chapter 4. You can rejoice in all things at all times because he is the immovable cosmic joy. And all you have to do is run into him. And we'll be looking at how to do that for the rest of the book. Not only that, we're going to do it. Because when we start looking at it every Sunday, this is the goal of every sermon every Sunday. You and I run into the tree and move with joy. Amen.